welcome to the Enemy of the Surveillance State, where we discuss news, tips, and open source tools to help you protect your privacy in an age of mass digital surveillance. I am your host, C. Mitchell Shaw, and to this week we've got a guest on the program, Michael Meharry from the Tenth Amendment Center. We're going to be discussing the constitutional issues surrounding mass surveillance as well as how states are complicit in building and maintaining the surveillance state. This week on Enemy of the Surveillance State. Right. Well, Michael, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the Tenth Amendment Center and maybe a little about yourself before we get started? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, the Tenth Amendment Center is an organization based out of Los Angeles, California. Uh, our mantra is basically follow the Constitution, every issue, every time, no exceptions, no excuses. And uh, we do kind of two, two lines of uh, work. We do education teach people about the Constitution as it was originally understood and intended. And then we also do activism, which primarily involves using state and local power to undermine unconstitutional federal overreach uh, through a process known as nullification. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. I'm the National Communications Director. I've been with the organization for about 10 years and excited to talk to you about uh, surveillance. That's been one of my primary policy area focuses over the last three or four years. So something that's near and dear to my heart. Well, yeah. And I'll tell you, um, so I am a, and I haven't even said this yet to, to any of my listeners uh, much about myself at all, but I am what I call a post 9-11 patriot. Pre 9-11, uh, I was, uh, and you know, I, I felt warm and fuzzy about my country and I thought good things about my country. I'd read some of the writings of the founding fathers and, you know, I, I voted Republican because why that's what you do if you care about your country mm-hmm. and you think like I think, you know, on the conservative end of the spectrum. But, uh, so I voted for W I voted for George W Bush in 2000. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> right. yeah, right. So then he's elected and you know, we have nine 11 a few months later and now it's, um, it's a free for all. And I'm watching cameras pop up on street corners all over where I lived at the time. And, you know, I'm seeing the department of Homeland security, the Patriot act, all of these things that are just eviscerating the God given rights that we have that are protected by the constitution. And I'm watching the surveillance state that I didn't realize had already been up and running for some time at that point become obvious. So to me, I'm watching it being built, but I realize now that I was just watching it come out into the light, so to speak, uh, at least a little bit, even with all of the denials that they put up. So I began to sort of, uh, try to figure out like what that meant. And then I drilled down and really read the constitution and I really read the writings of the founding fathers. And I discovered real quickly that I got taken for a ride voting for George W. Bush because we tend to think, you know, on, on my end of the political spectrum. And again, you know, if you call me a conservative, I probably won't argue with you. I would call myself a constitutionalist. But if you want to call me a conservative, it's probably not worth the argument. On most issues, I would be fairly conservative. But there are issues, like the surveillance state, that I see are neither left nor right. This is not a Republican versus Democrat thing. This is a state versus the people thing, and that's capital S, state. Uh, This is not an issue that should divide people along 
uh, partisan lines. This is something that wherever you fall on the political spectrum, you should be concerned about this. Uh, surveillance, uh, mass unwarranted digital surveillance in all its forms is a gross intrusion into the rights of the people. And of course, you know, they've got all their extensible excuses. They say, uh, well, you know, we've got to go get those terrorists and we're looking for a needle in a haystack. And I like to point out that if you're looking for a needle in a haystack, adding more hay to the stack is not going to help you find the needle. They need focused surveillance on, you know, targeted persons that they suspect, actually suspect, reasonably suspect of terrorism. And then go get your warrant and surveil that person from one end to the other. That's fine. But I'm not on that list. And Mike, you're not on that list. And we don't belong on that list. So why are my emails being read? Why are my texts being read? Why are my phone calls being cataloged? Why are my browsing histories and calendars and maps being sucked up in all of this surveillance? Uh, so, well, I'm probably on the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're on the list, I just hope they spelled your name right. Uh, but, right. But, but let's talk about that. Why do you think you're on the list? Well, I mean, we're all on the list. And, and I mean, I was part of a, of a movement to uh, turn off the water to the NSA facility in Bluffdale, Utah. So I'm sure I got on somebody's list doing that. Absolutely. Uh, you, you make a great point, though. You know, the, the 9-11 event was the quintessential, as Rahm Emanuel put it, never let a crisis go to waste. And all of the Patriot Act provisions, you know, that was a laundry list of things law enforcement had been begging for for, for decades, uh, mostly because they wanted to prosecute the unconstitutional war on drugs. And the 9-11 uh, was the perfect excuse. Everybody was in a panic. And when people are in a panic, they're willing to give up their rights. And once those rights are given up, you never get them back. So here we are, or nearly 20 years from 9-11, and the surveillance state has only grown bigger and more intrusive. And, um, you know, when there's a crisis, Constitution be damned. And once the crisis is over, like I said, it's, uh, as economist Robert Higgs put it in his uh, work, Crisis and Leviathan, uh, it's a ratchet effect. So, you know, once the government intrusion is ratcheted up to a certain level, it may come down a little bit after the crisis, but it never goes away completely. And uh, and then they find new crises, crises to ratchet things up again. So here we are today where we basically have a national surveillance state that operates 24-7, as you say, spying on virtually everybody in America. Absolutely. And I like to point out, too, um, that there is a principle that says that when what one generation accepts, the next generation expects, and future generations will embrace. So if we don't fight the surveillance state today, if we don't do everything we can to unplug the machine, dismantle it, burn it to the ground, and scatter its ashes to the four winds of the earth, if we don't do that, our children or our grandchildren are going to defend it as the correct way. People are just going to expect to be surveilled. Already so much of the younger generation, you know, think about this, 9-11 was a lifetime ago. There are people that will be voting in this upcoming election that were not born when the Twin Towers were still standing. All they have ever known is perpetual war and perpetual mm -hmm. surveillance. And that has framed their thinking. And even if they're reacting to it negatively, it still has framed their thinking. 
So millions of people are going to show up in the polls uh, in just a few short months to elect congressmen, senators, and a president. And from that batch, we will get appointments of federal judges, an, an incoming government that you and I and our children and their children are going to have to live with for a generation will be formed, at least in part, by people who've never really known what it is to have liberty or freedom in their communications. They've never known what it is not to be surveilled, so they expect it. Yeah, it's uh, it's creepy, and like you said, this is exactly why it's important to push back against this uh, rising tide as much as possible. And uh, you know, as you as you alluded to, it's not a partisan thing. Uh, we have a bipartisan surveillance state. Um, fortunately, I think there's also a bipartisan resistance to it. So that's the good news in all of this. I think that those that have uh, woken up to the re- reality of surveillance, I think that crosses political barriers and political spectrum. So it is possible to build single-issue coalition uh, around the surveillance state issue. But it's a tough sell for a lot of people, like you said. You know, I'm sure you've heard it. You got nothing to hide. You got nothing to fear. You know. And in fact, uh, that the very that mantra. Absolutely, the very first episode of this of this podcast, the enemy of the surveillance state, which I decided to to name that by the way, enemy of the surveillance state, because they've already made themselves the enemies of the people. Let's just go ahead and get yep. comfortable calling ourselves their enemies. We need to fight like we are fighting an enemy that means to enslave us. But the very first episode of this program. Uh, is is titled uh, Why Surveillance Matters Even If You Have Nothing to Hide because that is yep. the question that I get all the time. So if you're listening to this program and you've not heard that episode, go back and grab episode one at enemyofsurveillance.podbean.com or wherever you grab your podcasts. And while you're there, let me say this. Be sure to go ahead and click the subscribe button. I think at Podbean it's called Follow. But click that button. It may prompt you to set up a quick account. Uh, It's a painless process. And then you're subscribed and you'll never miss an episode because every time I publish, you'll get a notification that there's a new episode for you to listen to. And, Michael, I agree with you. It is about building that coalition because uh, the... We have to be bipartisan about this issue. There are issues about which I cannot be bipartisan, okay, as, as individuals even. There are things that I see very differently than, than other people on the other side of the political spectrum see them. We're never going to agree, but this should not be that issue. Uh, the bipartisan side of this at government, when government does things that are bipartisan, I always cringe. I like to say yeah. that, that in America we have two parties, the stupid party and the evil party. Occasionally, they get together and do something that is both evil and stupid, and this we call bipartisanship. Right. Uh, so, you know, when when individuals work together, like you say, in a single issue coalition, and I'm going to ignore your politics and you're going to ignore my politics and we're just going to focus on this issue, I'm crazy about that. When a congressman crosses the aisle, whether he's on the left or right, when he crosses the aisle, I get nervous. Um, because, Absolutely. because I know, oh, we are about to get screwed. Like the yep. people are not going to walk away from this. Okay. We're going to get damaged in the process. So talk a little bit, uh, in our emails back and forth, uh, Mike, now, do you prefer Mike or Michael? Either one. Okay. I usually go by Mike. So oh, Mike oh great. Awesome. Um, so in our emails back and forth, Mike, you, um, mentioned what you're doing 
in Lexington and this this what the surveillance situation is like in, in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, can you talk about that for a few minutes? Yeah, absolutely. So Lexington is my former hometown. Uh, I guess I grew up in Lexington and up until about December, I lived there. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, surveillance has been my primary policy or one of my primary policy focus areas for the 10th Amendment Center for a number of years. I mentioned the uh, efforts that we did, I think it was back in 2013, shortly after Edward Snowden uh, came out with his revelations. Uh, we realized that the NSA has uh, a resource problem. It needs a lot of electricity and a lot of water to run its uh, surveillance facilities. And the surveillance facility in Bluffdale, Utah, happens to be uh, supplied with millions of gallons of water by the city of Bluffdale. The city of Bluffdale does not have to supply that water. It's done by contract. The state could actually require that contract to be terminated. So uh, we actually worked pretty hard for a couple of years to turn off the water to the Bluffdale facility. Uh, the powers that be ultimately squelched that effort. But uh, our, our work against the NSA is ongoing at the 10th Amendment Center. But that really got me plugged into the whole issue of surveillance. And, and I started uh, kind of like you, I went down the proverbial Orwellian wormhole and started studying what was going on and realized that this is not just the NSA. It is a uh, overreaching national surveillance state that is essentially a big network that consists of state, local, and federal agencies that have created a surveillance network through a number of different uh, entities and agencies, including fusion centers and this thing called the information sharing environment and uh, all of the data gathering that goes on at the local level. And uh, one day my wife and I were walking through a park in our neighborhood and noticed that they had put up some uh, surveillance cameras in, in this park. And, of course, that raised red flags immediately because, like you said, when you start seeing the surveillance, uh, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that you're not seeing. So I uh, created an organization, just kind of a grassroots, uh, deal called We See You Watching Lexington, and uh, started to push. Initially, our effort was focused on just a very basic step one, require that the police department get city council approval before obtaining or using any type of surveillance equipment. Uh, they would have to have a surveillance plan, reveal how they're going to use the data, how they're going to store the data, how they're going to share the data. All of that information would have to be revealed up front and approved before they could use any type of surveillance equipment. So basically, accountability, oversight, uh, basic things that you would expect of any government entity. And of course, this was resisted <laughs> uh, because, you know, police department doesn't want you to know what kind of surveillance they're doing. And uh, also in the effort to do this, I uh, did some open records requests to find out what other surveillance technologies they're using. What are they using behind the scenes that we're not seeing? And as it turns out, the city of Lexington has a number of what they call mobile surveillance cameras. Now, what that means, nobody knows because they won't tell us. And uh, to make a long story short, I ended up getting sued by the city uh, in my efforts to uncover those open records. Uh, it's a quirk of the open record system in Kentucky. So I'm involved in an ongoing lawsuit that's now approaching year number three. Believe it or not, and what is um, there? Just man. if I can interrupt you there, uh, Mike. What is their ostensible reason or their pretext for that lawsuit? I mean, you have a right to request these these records, yes. 
I do. There, there are exceptions in every open records law. And in Kentucky, there are exceptions for homeland security, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they tried to use those exceptions to um, keep those documents secret. And in Kentucky, the way the process works is the first step, you go to the attorney general. If you're denied records, you can appeal. The attorney general's office will review the appeal and they will issue an opinion. And the attorney general sided with me, said that these documents need to be revealed. Um, so once that happens, the only alternative, if you don't want to accept the attorney general's ruling, is to sue the other party. So at that point, the city sued me. And uh, like I said, it's been ongoing. I've I've won twice at the circuit court level, and then it went to the Court of Appeals, and then got sent back to the circuit court. So we're on circuit court round number three. But um, ostensibly, the city insists that if we know what kind of super secret surveillance cameras they're using, they won't be able to use them anymore because they're so super secret that if we know about them, they'll be useless. Um, which Sort of like a magician never revealing his tricks. <laughs> Exactly. It's BS. But it the bottom line is that the city doesn't want people to know about surveillance. And this is there's a long history of this. You can look at the look at stingray devices. Oh, uh, exactly. People who aren't familiar. You know, these are these are devices that lock onto cell phones and allow the user to not only track the location of an individual phone, but also tap into the information that, that's on that device. And uh, these stingray devices come with non-disclosure agreements that are actually uh, written by the FBI. And I've seen prosecutors actually drop cases because they don't want anybody to know how this surveillance technology works. So it's a, it's a big secret. It's a big dog and pony show. To me, one of the most fundamental aspects of, uh, you know, quote unquote, good government is transparency and oversight. And this is completely lacking in the world of surveillance. So uh, I would encourage anybody, if you want to get involved in this issue, first step at your local level is simply to get uh, a process in place to make sure that you know about what is being used and how it's being used and how that data is being used. Because once people know about it, that tends to get them angry. The secrecy allows the government to operate in a, you know, under a dark cloud. Nobody knows, so nobody worries about it. When people actually hear and realize that they're being spied on, that whole, I have nothing to hide tends to start to fade away a little bit when they realize this stuff is directed at them. Yeah. And, you know, since since we keep mentioning that that idea of having nothing to hide, I want to reiterate something I said in that first episode. It is never, ever about what you have to hide. It is about what you have that's worth protecting. It's why we lock our doors. It's why we right. put up blinds and shades and curtains. It's why if I'm on a phone conversation in a group of friends and my wife calls and I'm talking to her on the mobile phone uh, and that conversation turns into an argument, I step away from that crowd. Not because I have anything to hide, but because this is a conversation I want to protect. I want to protect their impression of my wife while I'm mad at her and arguing vehemently with her. And I don't, you know, maybe, maybe you're a better person than I am and you never argue bitterly with your wife, but I, I'm not a good person in that regard. And sometimes I do. I, I always apologize because in the end, she always explains it to me and I'm able to see that I'm wrong. Um, but having said all of that, it's never about what you have to hide. It is always about what you have that's worth protecting. And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, but I don't have anything to hide, 
Do you want your kids to grow up in a world where they have to think about everything that they say, everywhere that they go, everything that they do, not about whether it's something to hide because they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, but about whether it's something that truly is private and none of anyone's business? We've all done this. You do an internet search for something, uh, an embarrassing medical question like I itch where or I have a rash where, uh, and you do that search for it. And then three days later on a totally different device, on a totally different platform, behold, you're bombarded with ads directly related <laughs> to that internet search that you did three days ago on a different device, on a different platform. It's not okay. That is private and ought to remain private. Um, and then one more point that you brought up that is really, really apropos to the value of all of this, Mike, is the secrecy. At what point did Americans on either side of the political spectrum, on either side of the aisle, at what point did we become comfortable with a secret government, a government that operates in secret? Okay, fine. I know who my elected officials are. I'm not talking about the shadow government. That's a separate issue. I am talking about programs, secret programs that are surveilling American citizens. This is what they did in oppressive governments that we fought to the death. You know, we fought the Nazis. We fought in the Cold War. We fought the communists in, in the Soviet Union as they oppressed their people. And part of the way that they did that was through a surveillance state. So an important part that has to be said, and I've said this before, for a police state to exist, a surveillance state is necessary. Destroy the surveillance state and you hold the police state at bay. And I'm not anti-government. Yep, I'm just anti-bad government. It really is, like you said in the beginning, the purpose of the Tenth Amendment Center is, uh, and I, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think it was something like uh, obey the Constitution uh, every— Every issue, every time, no exceptions, no excuses. Exactly. It has to be about Constitution. So there's a story from history, um, Sir Thomas More, uh, during the Protestant mm -hmm. Reformation in England— uh, he was a faithful Catholic. Of course, the king was taking the country in a very different theological direction. But it was also divided sort of along political lines, too. There were some, you know, it really was about your allegiance to the king because he made it about that. Okay, so Henry VIII made it about allegiance to him. And Thomas More was a principled man. Now, regardless of your religion, regardless of your politics, uh, here's here's the story. So the young man that would later accuse Thomas More of treason had asked Thomas More to get him a job in government, but More knew the guy's situation, he knew his character, and he thought, no, this guy will accept bribes all over half of Georgia, right? No, there's no way, we can't do this. This guy can never get in government. It will ruin him and the nation. So he turned the guy down. He said, look, I'm not going to help you. And the guy leaves all in a snit. Oh, you'll get yours. I'm going to accuse you of, you know. And so he leaves, and his daughter says, Father, aren't you going to arrest him? And he says, well, for what? She said, because he's a bad man. He said, well, he may be a bad man, but he hasn't yet broken the law, so there's really nothing to arrest him for. And the son-in-law at this point chimes in, oh, the law, the law. With you, it's always the law. I would mow down every law in England to go after the devil. And Thomas More says, and when all laws were laid flat and the devil turned on you, where would you hide? Mm -hmm. And that is what we have to remember that they always package this. They've only got two packages, uh, terrorism and the children. 
We have to fight terrorism and we have to protect the children. And those are always their excuses, their ostensible reasons for whatever they roll out that tramples on our God-given, constitutionally protected rights. And every time, as one person, America needs to stand up and say, no, no, you don't get to violate the Constitution. That is indeed a slippery slope. Because once we accept these programs, like you say, it's the ratchet effect. You can just slide into it, but you have to climb arduously to get back out of it. There's no easy fix to this. Uh, so people do need to be reaching out. If you're listening, reach out to your state legislatures. Reach out to your congressmen, your senators. Uh, write letters, send emails, make phone calls. Demand transparency and demand an end to the surveillance state. That's what we need to be doing on the legal side. Uh, in other episodes of this program, I've talked about what we can do on the technical side, the tools that you can use to protect yourself. Go back and listen to those episodes. Make sure to subscribe so that you hear future episodes as I will address more and more of that. So real quick, let's just transition uh, uh, and talk about uh, something you mentioned earlier, nullification. Can you explain to those who might be listening that don't understand the principle of nullification, where that principle derives and how it works? Well, I'm going to do. I'm going to go a little different direction, as opposed to really getting into the the philosophy, uh, because that could be a whole program in and of itself. Let's just talk about the nuts and bolts and the practical reality that we live in, and and how we can actually address the the surveillance state through our own action. Um, the reality is, the federal government needs state and local cooperation for everything that it does. It requires. If you've ever watched on television, if you see a, a federal drug raid, you'll have one DEA agent, 47 sheriff's deputies, and about 13 city cops. Uh, without all of that support, that one DEA agent wouldn't be able to do his job. Well, the same is true of the federal surveillance state. The federal surveillance state is built on a platform and foundation of state and local cooperation. If you take that state and local cooperation away, it makes it very di difficult or at least more difficult for the federal government to continue in the actions that it's doing. So we talk about this uh, at the Fifth Amendment Center as nullification in practice and effect. We're not going to change any laws uh, necessarily. We're not going to dismantle the NSA, but we're going to make it more difficult for those agencies to do the surveillance work that they're trying to do by withdrawing state and local cooperation. This was actually the, the uh, blueprint that James Madison gave us in Federalist 46. Uh, when asked, how are we going to keep this federal government in check? This was a concern even before the Constitution was ratified. James Madison said that uh, the means of opposition are powerful and at, and at hand. And one of the things that he said is a refusal to cooperate with officers of the union. So that's the model of nullification that we use at the Tenth Amendment Center. We're not trying to, to uh, legally nullify laws or go through any uh, legal process. We're doing stuff that makes it more difficult for the federal government to do its work because state and local cooperation is lacking. So how does that look with the surveillance state? Well, like I said, most of the data that is being gathered that is going into these huge federal databases isn't being gathered by the NSA or the FBI. The vast majority of electronic data is being gathered by state and local law enforcement. Perfect example is automatic license plate readers. The DEA has a massive automatic license plate reader database. Almost all of this information is fed by state and local law enforcement. So one of the things that you can do to have a practical effect is 
to stop that flow of information require warrants for the use of automatic license plate readers, prohibit the sharing of automatic license plate reader data outside of the uh, local entity that's using it. By simply constraining the collection of data, you are hindering the federal surveillance state by limiting the data that can flow. Basically, you got no data to share, it's not going to get shared. Uh, the same is true with drone surveillance, stingray devices, facial recognition. All of these federal programs are being used or being fed by the state and local law enforcement. Now, what the feds do is they uh, they supply the money. <laughs> they uh, basically make it possible for you know, a little community like Fernandina Beach, Florida, to have automatic license plate readers because they give grants. Uh, and then as part of the agreement, information gets shared. And that I mentioned earlier, the Fusion Centers and Information Sharing Environment. Fusion Centers have been set up all over the country. They're basically these uh, uh, entities of uh, cooperating state, local, and federal law enforcement that are set up in various regions that share and coordinate data. The information sharing environment is basically a uh, think of it as a pipeline where uh, surveillance data is flowing back and forth between state and federal agencies. All of this is fed by state and local action, uh, state and local activity. So that's really the focus that we've been been uh, pushing forward at the Tenth Amendment Center over the last couple of years. You know, we started off we're going to turn off the water to the NSA. That was pretty cool, and it, it got a lot of uh, uh, Good, good publicity, but we had to figure out something that we could do at the state and local level, nuts and bolts, to stop this uh, movement of information. So uh, that's the the model that we're going to. So you know, you mentioned uh, talking to your state legislators, talking to your congressmen and senators. I would take it even a step further. Talk to your city council members. Talk to your mayor. Your talk sheriff. to your county commissioner. Talk to your local sheriff. Um, all of these folks are are involved in this. And the way to get this under control, I think, is from a bottom-up approach. I don't think you're going to. I don't. I, I don't think Congress is ever going to get rid of surveillance. Uh, you know, you go back to 1970. I think it was 74, 75, when uh, Senator Frank Church was doing the uh, the Church Committee, and he was addressing surveillance. And then at that point, he said that the surveillance apparatus that was in place was strong enough to impose quote total tyranny. This was 1970s, before everybody was on cell phones, before everybody was on the internet, before we all had email. If they could have implemented total tyranny, then where are we now? And yet, even with that warning, over 40 years later, Congress still hasn't done anything. So I don't trust Congress to do anything. This is why we focus more at the state and local level, because you can have an impact. You can go to your city council and uh, you know get an ordinance proposed and even passed that puts limits on surveillance technology. We're seeing this all over the country right now uh, with a broad grassroots coalition that goes from everybody like the uh, ACLU uh, to really hard far left folks to quote unquote conservative organizations because they all recognize the fact that there needs to be constraints around government on anything, but particularly when it comes to uh, spying on our uh, most precious information, as, as we were talking about earlier. So that's kind of the model. And, and if you're interested in the, the theoretical nullification, which was uh, first kind of articulated by James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, 
I'll pitch my book, Our Last Hope, Rediscovering the Lost Path of Liberty. I actually have a, have a whole book that goes into the uh, the constitutional and, and theoretical idea of nullification. But you don't need to know any of that to actually do it. The key is prohibit the cooperation with officers of the union, and, and you can make big steps forward that way. Okay, so before I comment on that, uh, state the name of the book again for the listeners. Our Last Hope, Rediscovering the Lost Path to Liberty. You can just go to my website, michaelmeharry.com. I have uh, all my stuff is there. I'll, I'll make a link in the show notes. There will also be uh, links in the show notes to some of the other things that we've discussed. I've written about Stingrays for the New American Magazine. Uh, I'll make sure that I, I link at least one of those articles in the show notes. Uh, and the Tenth Amendment Center, how would people contact the Tenth Amendment Center? I could just, uh, what, TenthAmendmentCenter.com, I, I think is the website? That is correct. All spelled out. And uh, right there from the front page, you can go to our blog. You can see all of the uh, uh, various issues we're working on, not just surveillance, but we apply this idea of non-cooperation to everything from uh, gun control to uh, health care to sound money. Uh, you, you think of the issue and we're figuring out figuring out ways to not cooperate with all of the overreach that the federal government is involved in. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, for all of you enemies of the surveillance state listening out there, I'm going to ask you to do a, a handful of things. First, if you're not already subscribed to this show, make sure that you go back and click the follow or subscribe button, whatever it is on the platform where you grab your podcasts. Make sure you check out the Tenth Amendment Center. If you're interested in Mike's book or any of the other information he has, make sure to go to his website. There will be links for all of that in the bottom as well as more information about some of the topics that we've discussed today. And I'll end by saying this. We've got our work cut out for us if we're going to fight this. Mike, you are right. It is about fighting it at the local and state level. But even that is a slight uphill battle because many of these local and state governments, as you alluded to, are receiving a large portion of their funding by cooperating with this, by being complicit in building and maintaining the surveillance state and there is a principle that says you will never kill a beast while you suck at its teat. So you're going to have to talk to your sheriffs. You're going to have to talk to your city councils, county councils. You're going to have to talk to your state legislatures and everybody in between uh, to explain to them why this matters and find out how you can help them to stop this at your local level. Offer your assistance. Don't just demand an answer. Offer an answer. Uh, Mike, did you want to leave our listeners with anything else before we part company this week? No, I think that's a great point. And I think ultimately, when you boil it all down, it really comes to public pressure and educating your neighbors. And that's one of the beauties of local activism. One of the things that we were able to do in Lexington was make people aware that there was even a surveillance issue because most people had no idea. And it was really interesting as I was able to get on local radio shows and, and got some uh, op-eds placed in the uh, local newspaper. As that happened, we saw a growing interest in this issue, people getting angry about it. Most people intuitively do not like being spied on, and they don't like government secrecy. And so you can tap into that and educate folks that, that are out there while you're doing this kind of activism. But ultimately, it's going to require enough people demanding that we stop this. When that starts to happen, then you're going to start seeing progress. And, and we're seeing it, I mean, uh, in, in various areas. Oddly enough, California. 
uh, there's a huge pushback against the surveillance state in California right now. So Absolutely. Uh, Massachusetts is another state where, state where we're seeing it. So uh, you just have to create that critical mass of interest. And it starts with educating people around you and letting them know, hey, this is going on in your own backyard. And you're going to have a lot of people that will be concerned about that and it will build momentum. And, uh, and that's the way to win this. It truly is a grassroots bottom up type of movement. Politicians aren't going to do it. You're going to have to make politicians do it by putting enough pressure on them that they have to change their team. So absolutely. That's my spiel. Well, thank you, Mike. And that segues real nicely into my last ask. If you're listening to this program today and you want to step up as an enemy of the surveillance state, besides uh, subscribing to the program and taking action on the things we've talked about today, as Mike points out, a major part of this is to spread the message of how privacy is directly related to and indispensable to liberty and freedom. So make sure you are sharing this program. Share it on social media. Uh, talk to your friends about it. Uh, share a link to this in emails. Make sure people are aware of the enemy of the surveillance state program and that they are listening and that they are subscribing. So this has been Enemy of the Surveillance State, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>